Good morning. How about we pray as we start? Heavenly Father, as we listen to your message today, may it make us the people that you desire us to be. Amen. I love how Graham started the service. We believe and trust in God. We don't just believe that he exists, but we trust in him. And one of the things that means is that we don't trust in ourselves, doesn't it? Well, shouldn't it? We trust in him and not in ourselves. And that's really important to remember because sometimes we think we are heroes. Sometimes we think we're the hero. Humanity is great, isn't it? What we're able to do and what we're able to achieve. I um, heard that we were able to get man to the moon with the technology that you currently have just in the calculator application on your phone. Just that much computing power and we got man to the moon. Our technology, our capabilities, technological capabilities are amazing. What about our medical accomplishments? A friend of mine gave birth about nine months ago to a beautiful young boy. The doctors told her if she had been in her situation 200 years ago, that boy would not have survived. Our moral accomplishments, what about those? We are able to do good to one another. Think of Prince Harry and the Invictus Games. Giving wounded, injured, sick, armed services uh, personnel an opportunity to compete in international sport. What a good thing. Humanity is great. I heard it said this week, don't be too pessimistic about our future because it would seem, if we could just get along, that our potential is limitless. Uh, But that's just it, isn't it? We can't get along. Humanity might have all this potential for good, but they are ultimately flawed. For all our technological achievements, there's cyber warfare. For all our scientific scientific and medical achievements, there's chemical warfare. For all our moral achievements, well, all we have to do is turn on the news to see the latest to fall in the Me Too campaign. The passage we're looking at today... Genesis 6, I'd like you to keep it open, is God's assessment of the world. Where humanity is at, according to him, since its beginnings. And it's also, it's, we, we get this incredibly insightful assessment into our own hearts, into the wickedness and the evil of our own hearts. We also get an incredible insight into God's heart. In many ways, it's the story of two hearts, this text. It shows us who we really are. It shows us who God really is and what God will do for us. So firstly, I want to open it with you and I want us to see that it shows us humanity's heart. Sandra, can I have that Bible? Is that all right? Can you open another one? Is that? Thank you. All right. It's good to have a Bible when you're preaching from it. It shows us humanity's heart. God's assessment of the state of the human heart is that it is evil. Listen to the diagnosis in chapter 6, verse 5. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth 
and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Notice that this is God's assessment, the Lord saw. That's throwing back to Genesis 1, where as God created things, he said, it's, it's good. And then he creates mankind and he says, it's very good. And now we're in Genesis 6 and God says, it's very bad. The Lord saw the wickedness. That's what God sees. The wickedness of man was great in the earth. This is a really unique perspective on humanity. And you need to see this. In the ancient Near East, uh, when stories like Genesis were written, there are many accounts of a flood. And in those accounts, which are very, very similar to our account in Genesis, they, they, most of those accounts give a reason for why the flood on earth comes. And the reason that most of those floods, uh, most of those authors give for the flood is because human population is growing and as it's growing, it's getting very, very noisy and the gods are not happy with the noise. Humanity's creating a racket and the gods don't like it. Now, I am old enough to already be aware that uh, lots of noise is bad. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm too old already. Lots of noise is bad. I love children. <laughs> I preached at half past six the other week. They were amazingly quiet. I don't know whether they'd heard this sermon already, but lots of noise gives us the sense of, you know, things are a bit unstable and a bit wrong. But Genesis, different to these other accounts, wants to make the point crystal clear to us that the reason for the flood is none other than our wickedness, our evil, our violence, our corruption. Our wickedness. That's why the flood comes. And it's not just their actions. Have a look at verse 5 again. It says, Every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. The heart in the Bible is contrasting the outward person to the inward person. And it's saying the inward person, who you really are, what you really want, deep down at the core of who you are, is evil. Is evil. Genesis has spent some time unpacking what evil means and what wickedness means, what our state of our heart is. But here in chapter 6, right at the beginning, verses 1 to 4, we get an interesting story that shares some of that, what that evil is and what that evil looks like. I'm just going to read 6, 1 to 4 again because you probably don't read it that often and it's very strange. When humans began to increase in number on the earth and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of human, humans were beautiful and they married any of them they chose. Then the Lord said, My spirit will not contend with humans forever for they are mortal. Their days will be 120 years. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days and also afterward when the sons of God went to the daughters of humans and had children by them. 
They were the heroes of old, men of renown. First thing to say is that um, the only thing the scholars agree on is that they can't agree on it. They don't know exactly what's happening here. The other thing, actually, they do agree on something else, is that what is happening here is evil, is wicked. We've talked about that. And this is an example of what human wickedness looks like. And it's complex because what you have to work out here are who are the sons of God? I'm sure you were thinking that. Who are the daughters of men? Who are the Nephilim? Uh, what's it mean that my spirit will not contend with humans forever? They are mortal. Their days will be 120 years old. What do all these things mean? For time's sake, I can't go into all of that, but I want to help us make some sense of it because I think some sense of it can be made and that the point it's trying to make is really helpful to our understanding of the human heart. Perhaps the best way to understand it is that the sons of God are some kind of angelic being, some kind of divine being. And you can imagine that humans at this point are living in a fallen world, a broken world. And one of the things they're trying to do is regain what was lost at the fall, or something that was lost, trying to regain their divinity, their immortality. And you can imagine that allowing angelic beings to marry human beings in order to create a master race that might restore the world to what it can be might be a way of going about it. I know that sounds crazy. But you can imagine producing some kind of divine offspring, which is what the Nephilim in the rest of Scripture appear to be, might get the job done. And I think this aligns with what Genesis has been telling us is a part of, the, of human sin and human problem, the human problem, which is trying to be like God beyond the likeness he's already given us. In fact, trying to be our own gods, trying to rescue ourselves, trying to decide for ourselves what is good, trying to achieve for ourselves some kind of kingship and rulership that means we are our own gods, trying to save ourselves, trying to be the hero. You can imagine that... Uh, sorry, Genesis paints humanity's evil in that kind of way with Cain and Abel. Uh, Abel's sin was executing his own justice. And here we have humanity trying to be their own gods again. The irony here is, and the original readers would have read this, at the end of verse 4 it says... Um, they were the heroes of old, men of renown. But what Nephilim actually means is the fallen. And so it's, it's as if, from our point of view, 
we make ourselves to be heroes, or we have heroes out there, we think there are things that can save us. And from our point of view, some people, some ideas, ourselves look heroic. But from God's point of view, they're just like everything else, they're fallen. They're not super, they're substandard. And the author, I think, wants to make the point something like, one of the ways in which we are evil is is when we think we are really good. When we live in such a way that we're saying we don't need God in order to be divine, we can be our own gods. We have something of a hero complex. One of the ways in which we're evil is when we think we are really, really good and don't need God. Now, the creation of a super race, a master race that can bring about peace on earth, does that remind you of anything? That was just what the Nazi Germany was trying to do, to take it to an extreme example. And let's be clear, that was not innocent, not an innocent attempt. And neither was this. You notice that the sons of God saw that the daughters of humans were beautiful and they married any of them they choose. This is at the expense of others. And in Nazi Germany, it was at the expense of nearly a whole race. But before we point our finger just to Nazi Germany and say that was them, we are not like that. I find it interesting that a clinical psychologist, the New York Times said he is perhaps the most important public intellectual at the moment. Speaking of the atrocities of the Holocaust, he says the lesson that human beings need to learn from the 20th century is what we are capable of. What you and I are capable of. He speaks of the soldiers who carried out the torture and evil of the concentration camps. And he says, if you don't think that could have been you, you don't know yourself. Humanity has incredible potential for evil. Humanity, our heart is broken We want to be our own gods. And the consequence of that is dire. And our situation is also inescapable. At the end of verse 5, where God gives his assessment, it says, Every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. That means it's a cycle. It's never-ending. It's all-pervasive. It's unstoppable. Humanity has reached a stage that it cannot help itself out of. We cannot fix the problem. We are not the heroes. So, we've seen our heart. We've seen humanity and God's assessment on humanity. Let's have a look at God's heart because that also comes through in this text. Verse 6. And the Lord regretted that he had made men on the earth and it grieved him to his heart. Now, how are we to understand this betrayal of God? Scholars generally go to either end of the spectrum. On the one hand, they say this gives us a picture of an incredibly personal God who is personally connected to us and who is hurt, in a sense, by this experience. He experiences heartache from our evil. On the other hand... They say that the the words regret and grief are more about 
more like an accountant doing his or her uh, job of checking the balances. There are things that are out and the accountant needs to make things right. And this is God approaching the world like that. I think both are helpful. On the one hand, it shows that God is our loving Heavenly Father. And our sin pains him to his heart because he sees what we do and he goes, that's not good for you, that's not good for the people around you, that hurts me because of that. And our sin hurts him. Just to feel for a moment the kind of grief this pain causes him. Elsewhere in the Bible, when it uses this word for grief, it speaks of a wife being deserted by her husband. A wife being deserted by her husband. That's how she feels, this kind of grief. I have uh, a couple of friends, but two in particular come to mind, two women who have been deserted by their husbands. One, from a, a, one by adultery, one by abuse, both of them in their 20s. And they tell me, you can see that that is the most excruciating pain. Heart, the heart is broken. When you have given your life for someone, forsaking all others, and made yourself vulnerable to someone, and then you wake up one day, you look them in the eye, and they have changed. They are, that, that person that you knew has disappeared. They have rejected you. That is the kind of pain the author is presenting here. God is a loving heavenly father with whom we have a personal connection who is grieved to his heart by our sin. That's a helpful way to understand our sin. On the other hand, we see that God's not just a heavenly father, but he is the world's accountant. He is a just judge doing exactly as he needs to, to balance the scales, to make things right. He steps in and exactly puts things back in a balance. Now, you have an accountant, and it is a good thing when they... I don't even know the words for it because I'm so bad with money... <laughs> But when they, make the, when they make it all balanced, it is a good thing. And if your accountant said to you, hey, your balance is only bad all of the time continually, you would want them to step in and do something. Amen? This text is saying that's God's response here. He's a good accountant who steps in and does something about the problem that we have. And that's really good because it means there is someone who will ultimately bring everyone to account, bring the, the balance back, make the scales right. That means that every action, everyone will be called to account for what they do. That's great news. But it also means yours will too. And your evil deserves death. And in the New Testament, the flood 
which we're about to see comes, is a picture of God's final judgment. One day with the second coming of Christ, God will bring the world to account. And you'll either escape that judgment or you won't. So we've seen our heart, we've seen God's heart. What does God do? Verse 7. Have a look. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. Now it's really important that we have seen God's heart before this text arrives because it gives us the right lens through which to understand this judgment, this flood. Because you need to know the opposite of love is not hate. Oh, sorry. Yeah, the opposite of love is not hate. The opposite of love is indifference. If God were to do nothing, he would not be loving. Like we've talked about, he's the accountant. He needs to bring just justice. He steps in because he cares. This is not an indifferent God. That's not why the flood happens. This is a God who is a loving God. Um, imagine you had a business. Imagine you started a business, very special to you, your own little thing, you're an entrepreneur, you've started this thing, maybe this is your experience, and it grows, and after a time you decide you want to hand over day-to-day management, give day-to-day management to somebody else, so you can step above it, be above it a little little bit more, and uh, it's going really well, really successful, but after a few years, things start slipping. The leadership that you've handed your business over to have uh, started making some dodgy decisions. But then those dodgy decisions start to unravel and people are starting to get hurt. Relationships in the business start to fracture. Uh, there's, falling, there's a falling out. And so one day you decide to take a closer look. You come into the business and you start turning over every page, looking through it, and you realize, actually, this is irreparable. This is only going to get worse. More people are going to lose their jobs. More people are going to get hurt. This is a disaster. Something's got to be done. What do you do in that moment? It's irreparable. You shut it down so that it doesn't keep hurting itself. You shut it down as quickly and as effectively as possible. That's something like what is happening here. The other side of God's love uh, might be grief, wrath, and anger, but it's not indifference. God steps in. He does something. The real question might not be, why does God send the flood? The real question might be, why does God save anyone at all? Why does God save Noah? Verse 8. You've got to love lines like this. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. We're going to look at this next week a little bit, but uh, this doesn't mean that Noah's a hero. Noah doesn't save the world. 
In fact, in the story to follow, Noah doesn't say a word. He's kind of powerless. And that's in comparison to these other ancient Near Eastern flood stories. Noah is not the hero. Noah does not save humanity. This word, Noah found favor, should probably be better translated grace. God just showed his grace. What does that mean? The author here wants us to see that this means God is not done with the world. Not at this point, not now, not ever. God is not, this is not the end of the story. God's not finished. And God has made humankind and he has connected himself to them in such a way that he says, I'm not finished with you. That is undeserved grace beyond belief, even in judgment. Noah is not different from the assessment of the whole world. He's included. He's a human. He's a part of verse 5, only evil all the time. But Noah finds grace and it reminds us of God's love and commitment to us. God's saying, you deserve the full consequences of your actions, but I love you. You deserve nothing else from me, but I love you. You don't deserve my favor, but here it is. And just like in Noah's day, one day God will come and judge our world when Jesus returns. But there is a time right now where God extends his favor to us through Jesus Christ. And he says, I love you, I'll save you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your grace. We admit we are flawed. We need you for our own sake, for the world's sake. And we thank you that you love us unnecessarily. And that you step into the world, you execute justice, but you also extend grace to us in Jesus' name. Amen.